Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. It is the Bathurst 1000 week. The 2022 edition of the Great Race will kick off this Thursday ahead of the big show on Sunday, and we'll have plenty of preview action coming up later in the pod. Todd Hazelwood will drive for the Blanchard Racing Team next season. That's been confirmed by the Ford team, as has plans to expand into Super 2. That news also seals Tim Slay's long-expected exit from BRT. He is set to join Premier Racing for the 2023 season. Shane Van Gisbergen scored a podium on his World Rally Championship debut. He and Glenn Weston were third in the WRC2 class in New Zealand after a puncture took them out of a hot battle for second with Kaiten Kaitanovic, who's actually a WRC2 title contender. Harry Bates finished fourth in the WRC2 class. Matt Charter and Jay Robotham will compete under the Caltex Young Stars banner this weekend with their wildcard entry for the Bathurst 1000. A new book will celebrate Dick Johnson Racing's journey to 1,000 races. That milestone will tick over at Bathurst this week. The book will be published by Authentic Collectibles and can be pre-ordered now via V8 Sleuth. Supercars has created a new executive role, the Chief Innovation and Sustainability Officer, which will be filled by Tim Watsford. He joined Supercars from Northern Territory Major Events Company, and his responsibilities will be very much focused on government relations. And David Reynolds has signed a new deal with Grove Racing for 2023 and beyond. He will be joined by Matt Payne in the Grove Racing lineup next season. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that has a fine collection of budget caps hanging on a hat rack in his hallway, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, can you hear the mountain calling? Hello, Andrew. I certainly can. Certainly looking forward to heading up to Bathurst tomorrow. I'm, I'm glad there's no F1-style budget caps at Bathurst, though. I reckon uh, a ticket to the last hour would be hard to put a fair value on, don't you reckon? Absolutely. That is what everyone is going to want on Sunday afternoon, uh, particularly if uh, some of the weather forecasts that have been bandied about turn out to be accurate. I think that's going to be a pretty valuable ticket just to have four wheels on your wagon uh, when it comes to the last hour of the race. Of course, there is nothing bigger happening in Australian motorsport this week than the Bathurst 1000. It is great race week. I'm very, very excited. Stefan, I'm excited because for the first time since 2019, I'm actually going to be there. I'm going to be on the ground for the Bathurst 1000. Uh, I was at Bathurst for the 12 hour in February 2020 when it was about uh, 1 billion degrees every day. Uh, it might be a bit different this weekend, but it's been a full three years since my last 1000. Actually, we'll be, we'll be together again for the first time since the Grand Prix. Is that right? Am I remembering this right? Yeah, I think so. And and the last time we were both at Bathurst was 2019. And mm-hmm. I think uh, you dragged me up to the top of the mountain on one of the days because you had some sort of autograph session or you were going to a campsite <laughs> to do some selfies and kiss some babies. Was that what happened? Canpole Corner 
What a, I might have to head back up there this year, I think, go and see all my mates up there. That was uh, that was a wild old time that only feels like it was about five lifetimes ago, to be honest. It's been a uh, – there's been a fair bit happening <laughs> since, those, was, uh, uh, since those days. Maybe, you know, maybe there'll be a campsite dedicated to the Castrol Motorsport News podcast this year, Stefan. Who knows? Well, it'll certainly be better going up there this year than it was in 2020. There was uh, not much going on there. Yes, that's uh, that's right. Well, let's uh, let's get stuck into our Bathurst One Thousand preview. Uh, we are going to go through some burning Bathurst One Thousand questions. Um, I reckon we should start at the pointy end of the field by listing our outright contenders. Now, our outright contenders, these are the cars that we think can go to Mount Panorama and win this race on nothing but pace. So I'll, I'll get things started here, Stefan. Here's my list of contenders in no particular order. I've got Chaz Mostert and Fabian Coulthard, Anton Di Pasquale and Tony Dalberto, Will Davison and Alex Davison, Cam Waters and James Moffat, and Massive Shock, Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander. Now, I went back through my list of contenders from last year, and the only change, apart from Chaz's co-driver, is it's one triple eight car out, one DJR car in. I didn't have the Davidson car on this list last year, but Will is just in such incredible form at the moment, so he he really just has to be there. Alex not doing a lot of racing always leaves kind of a question mark over him, I guess. Uh, very safe pair of hands, but... Um, will he have the absolute pace to do what Lee Holdsworth kind of did last year and, and really contribute to the to, to the car staying at the pointy end the whole time? Um, but yeah, that, that that's that's just a question mark. But either way, you just can't leave that car out based on Will's form. He really is uh, going very very well. Um, I did, however, leave the eighty eight out. That car was in my list of contenders last year, and it's not this year. Um, I've sh- shuffled that down to my best of the rest category. This time around, uh, Stefan, your contenders. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment to separate out those five. Like it wouldn't be a surprise to see any of those cars win the race. And I mean, it's easy to talk up ninety-seven as a heavy favourite, given the year that Shane's had. But it's no different to last year, and the Walkinshaw car smashed them all week last year mm. for pace. Yeah, like it's a big call to say that Chaz will have that advantage again. But that car should be fast, and Fabian Coulthard's a pretty solid replacement for Lee Holdsworth. So then looking at those Ford guys you mentioned, I think it's actually hard to split those three, to be honest. Like, DJR were pretty passive in the race at Bathurst last year and also, to be honest, the year before. So they've just not had the pace. But as you say, like, Will Davo has been right on it this year. And yeah. whereas in last year's race, the 17 car was actually hurt early on by the double stack. But if Will can out-qualify Anton, then the dynamic there changes the other way. So that's going to be an interesting battle to watch in itself. And then the Mm -hmm. monster car you mentioned, like I think Cam Waters, like second two years in a row, nobody looks as ready to win that race as he does, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, when you look at the DJR cars, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I could see Will Davison putting the 17 on pole. You know, his his single lap pace has just been remarkable this year, and he seems to have the edge over Anton um, on that. So, like, I could really see that car being in contention um, for for pole. 
Um, I guess, you know, I, I think you're 100% right about Fabian being really quick. There's always kind of this question mark over, you know, his left foot braking and the fuel economy and, and does that sort of hamper him at Bathurst. Um, I guess not being in the primary driver role, that will be less of an issue and he should be right there on pace, like absolutely right there in the same way that Lee Holdsworth was last year. So I guess if they do sort of, if they can recreate the magic of last year, you know, they'll be right there. But I just can't. You know that the, the ninety seven, particularly if it's going to rain, it just there's not much really not to like about that that entry. What do you think about moving the eighty eight down? I mean, I just kind of feel like you know Jamie Winkup does actually for all the talk about the fact he's no good at Bathurst, he's won it four times. He does know how to go pretty good there. Brock had his real coming of age at Bathurst last year, where I know he crashed out, but he actually looked like a main game supercars driver, and he had a lot to do, given his you know the the, the fact that Russell Ingle wasn't all that quick. I just don't think – like they have to beat the car on the other side of the garage to win it. And I think doing it, doing that without something going their way is unlikely. Is that unfair? No, I think that's fair. And if they're not in that top group of contenders, then they're definitely at the top of the next group, I think. Like you mentioned how strong Brock was at, at Bathurst last year. And you've got to remember too that it's the place that he's done the most running, like he did the yeah. 1,000 the year before with Tickford as well. So he does have a bit of experience there, and I think he has stepped up in the last couple of a, couple of rounds. Mm-hmm. He was uh, pretty competitive there at Pukekohe against Shane. So, yeah, I would expect them to be in the mix. I think Brock could really shine, but, yeah, to win the race – something almost has to go wrong with a 97 because with the way the race plays out and having a lot of yellows late like we've seen in recent years, you're probably going to have to double stack behind your teammate at some point. That's yeah. just going to be the luck of the draw really. But if we're talking about that next tier of, of contenders, I'd yeah, say you'd also, you'd also have in there the two Erebus cars, so Will Brown, Jack Perkins and mm-hmm. Brody Kostecki, David Russell, of course, unchanged lineup from last year. They haven't had the best build-up, obviously, with Will Brown's crash at Pukekohe and a bit of patchy form, but I think they'll have two pretty strong cars, and as long as they don't fall into those little traps like they did with the power steering failure on the nine car early last year, I reckon they'll be thereabouts. And then, really, Andre Heimgartner, Dale Wood for BJR, and Nick Perkett, Warren Luff for, for walking chores. It wouldn't be a surprise to me to see either of those cars on the podium either. Nah, absolutely. I think that's that's exactly what I've got in my uh, second tier of contenders there, the 88, you know, that that um, Perkat Luff car. I mean, I know Nick struggled a bit this year, but you could definitely see things starting to come right uh, at Bathurst. Um, Warren Luff just always ends up on the podium there. Those Erebus cars, as you mentioned, Davey Russell doing a bit more racing, you know, was on the podium last year. Um, they'll be in the mix, and particularly if it's really wet. I mean, yeah, there's just something about the uh, the number eight. I don't know. It's 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 the tough part is they've still got to beat. Everyone's got to beat the ninety seven, um, and perhaps the twenty five if we go off last year. But yeah, I think that the, those cars all really deserve to be in that um, in that second group. Um, let's break this thing down to a third tier of cars that could feasibly win the great race, but might need a little bit more to go their way. So these are cars that aren't going to go out there and pole it and drive away from it, but could end up on the top step of the podium or on any step of the podium if things fall their way. So for me, this group consists of 
Another two Tickford cars, I'd have both the James Courtney Zane Goddard entry in there and the Thomas Randall and Zach Best entry in there. I think the two Team 18 cars um, could be there. It's always uh, hard to pick where they will land on speed. Um, and it's the same for the two Grove Racing cars, which is kind of the same story. Again, they might be doing a rain dance because they tend to go fairly well uh, in the rain. Uh, Stefan, who's in that chasing pack for you? Well, I think those two Tickford pairs you mentioned are both pretty strong, but particularly Randall and Best together. Like Best was yeah. outstanding last year on debut in that truck assist car with Jack LeBrock. And it's worth noting this year that that Castrol car that he's sharing with Thomas Randall shares a boom with the Kostecki entry. So they won't have to stack behind Waters at any point, which I think yeah. could uh, could help them being on that second Tickford boom. And then you look at, yeah, Team 18 should be thereabouts, but nothing to me says they'll have the absolute outright pace to go no, and no. win it. Yeah. Groves, yeah, so unpredictable. Um, but you would think that with David Couchy there in the mix with a bit of that uh, knowledge of how to make cars go fast at Bathurst, that could help them. And I'd probably say that the cool drive car is pretty close to some of these guys too. They've had a patchy year, but if they can shake off some of that and uh, recapture the speed that they had at Bathurst both in December last year and February, that cool drive team were pretty quick on both visits to Bathurst last year. So uh they can't be totally ruled out from that sort of top five. I just wonder if the off-track stuff might be a bit distracting. You know, it has been a pretty tough period for that team. Um, you know, we know now that, that Slade is definitely going. Not that we didn't already know that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, – they will have uh, Mirko De Rosa back. You know, there, there's things are looking like they could head in the right direction, but I just wonder if, if all that stuff will be a little bit distracting heading into a race it's like that. It's definitely an unusual one, like um, – it's not uh, unprecedented to go to Bathurst knowing you're going to a different team next year, but when you're actually sharing the car with the boss yeah, and <laughs> yeah. seeing each other in the driver changes, and even more so, to be honest, that they've announced Todd Hazelwood at the start of Bathurst week yeah. um, in the in the full cool drive shirt and everything. I didn't expect that. Was, that. I was that's, very surprised yeah. by that. I was very surprised by that. I mean, that, that's got to be signed off, you know, obviously at the MSR end as well to have a guy showing up with completely different sponsors on, the, on his shirt. And the release, I think, made mention of it's a shame that we couldn't come to an agreement with yeah. with Tim Slade, which yeah. uh, again sort of says he could have been our first choice. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, an interesting start to Bathurst week from the news point of view. Uh, the battle of the wild cards will be interesting this year, Stefan. Given we have three of them in the field, who are you backing for wild card glory? Oh, well, on paper, the Triple Eight car should be the strongest. I know Craig Lowndes has been listed as the primary driver there, but Declan Fraser should lead that car in terms of qualifying and, and all of that. Like He's the bloke leading the Super 2 Series and pushing for a full-time drive, so it's a big opportunity, I think, for him in, in a very good car. But the one that's really interesting is that Richie Stanaway, Greg Murphy, Boost Mobile, Erebus, Commodore. I'd love to see Richie run competitively, but it's such an unknown because he hasn't raced since the end of 2019, well, not in supercars yeah. anyway. I think if it's wet, that maybe levels the playing field for him a bit. We've seen him do some pretty special things, including at Bathurst up there in, in the rain before. But with Murph, it's just such a big, big ask to come back from so many years out, especially with how like high downforce these cars are now and how quick they go across the top. He's probably just got to do what Russell Engel did last year and roll around and use the lucky dog if, if they need it. And 
by the way, that's the worst rule in modern motor racing, but I digress. Yep, no, no, we, we know you have to we – could, we could fill many a podcast with you talking about that and me talking <laughs> about super various super licence uh, scenarios and structures. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think that you're probably right. In terms of the wild cards, it's hard to go past the triple eight. I don't necessarily think that car is going to be – right up there in contention in sort of outright terms. Um, but, yeah, in terms of against the other wild cards, should be pretty hard to beat. That is just that that Boost Mobile wild card is just the most fascinating entry in the whole field. There's just so many unanswered questions. And the funny thing is with someone like Richie Stanaway, we might not get the answers no matter what happens because <laughs> he's been so inconsistent, you know, uh, but just such a phenomenal talent um, and, like, you know, if he went and put it in the shootout, as big a ask as that is with no race fitness, it just wouldn't be like a, a shocking thing. But I guess if they if they were qualifying in the twenty somewhere, that wouldn't be all that surprising either. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Does Murph do better than than Ingle did? Is he more competitive than Russell was last year? What do you reckon? Well, that's uh, that's tough to call. I really don't know. Like Russell did just enough, but obviously he wasn't too quick. And I guess uh, just thinking of you talking about Richie there. Reminds me of, I think it was 2018 when he was in the Rabble car and it was really wet in practice and he ended up in the top three at the end of the opening day mm, and yes. he just sat there in the presser and said, like, this is terrible news because our cars are normally good in the wet and bad in the dry. So it shows we haven't learned anything. That's obviously paraphrasing <laughs> a bit, but it was just classic Richie of, uh, yeah, just honest, but uh, you never know what uh, what's going to happen next. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, but that's just gonna be. It's gonna be fascinating to see, you know, j- just to see where where he's at. There's been all this talk about the fact he's lean and mean, and he's coming back, and can he be a contender to get back in the series? Um, it'll be fascinating to see where he lands. So much ability, so much natural ability. So yeah, that will definitely be interesting. Um, what is also interesting is seeing how the co-drivers uh, stack up each year. So Stefan, let's talk about our co-driver to watch. For 2022, the the co the co driver we have our eye on, um, I'm going to go with Zach Best. Um, you sort of touched on this before, but it's been a big year for Zach. Um, he did a good job in the wild card, even if the waters were a little muddied by tire batches at the bend when he took that sensational pole position. Um, he still had to drive that lap. He still performed reasonably well across you know the, the, that weekend in particular. Um, he was one of two drivers to outperform his primary driver in the co driver session at Sandown. Um, a while back, although that doesn't mean all that much, given it was separate sessions and all, and, and, you know, like it wasn't an apples for apples comparison. But he does seem pretty uh, impressive. He's keen to be on the main game grid sooner rather than later. So this, you know, his second Bathurst one thousand start is a big chance for him um, to go and prove that he should be there. Um, and to me, that's a you know, he's a big part of the reason I have that fifty five entry in my third tier of contenders. I guess it could go one of two ways, but we could see you know you got two young ambitious drivers um, in that car. Tommy Randall is still trying to establish himself as you know as a supercars driver, a main game supercars driver. Um, they could really push each other and do some really impressive things, him and Zach, or you know they could push each other and the car could end up hanging out of the wall somewhere. I mean, we, we've seen how that dynamic of two young drivers can work really, really well, but it can also be quite explosive. So I think that's why Zach's a co-driver to watch. I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup, you know, in that car. Who have you got as a co-driver to watch? Yeah, I absolutely agree on uh, Zach Best. I think there's a heap of names you could throw into this segment, but for me it's Matt Campbell 
who is paired with David Reynolds at Grove mm-hmm. Racing. Matt's obviously a world-class driver. He just wrapped up the IMSA GT title with Porsche in the US on the weekend, but he's also done a heap of laps around Bathurst. When you combine seven starts in the 12-hour with what will be now his fourth start in the 1,000, he was actually really strong in the Heimgartner car at Bathurst with Kelly Grove last year, but it just went largely unnoticed because those cars weren't fast enough. So, um, yeah, really hoping that this year Grove Racing can give Matt a car that is good enough to run near the front. Yeah, look, particularly if it is wet and the car really is working, it could be quite impressive. He knows how to jam it down to the elbow. We know that for sure. We've <laughs> seen that in a uh, in a Porsche. So, yeah, no, I think that's a really good tip as well. And particularly, like I say, if that 26 car actually ends up being in the mix, um, yeah, that that could be a, that, that could be very very interesting to see uh, to see how Matt goes. Um, there are six rookies in the field this year, Stefan. We have Jackson Evans, Matt Payne, Aaron Seaton, Matt Charter, Jay Robotham, and Declan Fraser, who are you tipping to shine brightest of our first-timers? Well, yeah, Declan's probably got the biggest opportunity there to shine, uh, as we discussed earlier. But um, going back to the Grove Garage, like the one I'm looking forward to most out of out of this set of rookies is actually Matt Payne, who's mm-hmm. teaming up with Lee Holdsworth there. He's, he's replacing Lee next year. We already know that, so it's not like he's out there to try to impress and win the seat, but this is a really good insight for us to see exactly where he's at in his development and directly how he compares to the man he's replacing. So that's a that's a rare thing to to see it like that. Yeah, that is that is interesting. We know he can be a little mistake prone. We have seen that in the past, as recently as Sandown um, in Super Two. But you know, fast, and that's the most important thing. And this is a this weekend will be a good opportunity for. Again, him to show that, you know, that the path that he's on um, to be a main game driver is the right path. Um, I think it'll be fascinating to see how uh, Jackson Evan goes, particularly in those dedicated co-driver sessions. It may be tough, you know, in the in the open sessions or in the race, given that we don't expect the number four to be overly competitive in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if he did kind of pop up somewhere semi-impressive in a practice session despite uh, his lack of supercars experience. Um, and, and I've mentioned before that I don't feel like I've got a great read on where Aaron Seaton is at, so I'm looking forward to seeing how he stacks up uh, in those um, sessions as well. Uh, support categories, Stefan, what's got your heart racing outside of the main game heading into the weekend? Oh, for me, it's, it's this uh, Heritage Revival category. There's a 40 category. Yeah. That, that's me, 40 cars, a real mix of uh, Group N, Group C, Group A, and some Group S. Sorry for the alphabet soup, but that's how yep. they uh, classify these categories, as you know. But um, the most important thing out of that is there's some really legendary Bathurst 1000 cars in that lot, including the Jaguar that won the race in 85, the pole-sitting Bluebird from 84, and, and also a JPS Group C 635 BMW, which has just had a complete restoration done on it. So pretty cool that those cars are going to be out and about uh, actually having a race. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good weekend for checking out cool old cars. You know, we've sort of Re- – Repco's turning it on for their 100th anniversary. They've got this Repco in motorsport exhibition uh, at the museum and there's um, there's going to be a parade with some sort of significant old cars. So I think uh, if you're into your motor racing history, it's going to be a, um, a pretty fun weekend and there's going to be some good stuff to look at uh, at Mount Panorama. Um, what about general off-track stuff? Stefan, what are you kind of looking forward to away from the racing itself? 
I'm looking forward to seeing this new Gen 3 Mustang in the mm. flesh, the updated model that they're actually going to race next year. We got a bit of a preview of it via those renders a couple of weeks back, but yep. um, a reveal and demo laps at Bathurst will give us a much better look. It, it sounds like Stephen Richards and Luke Yorden are going to be doing most of the Gen 3 driving over the weekend with the Camaro obviously on track as well. But you just love to see Dick Johnson roll out in the new car before the race on Sunday like they did uh, 20 years ago with the BA Falcon. Yeah. I uh, re- really hope they do something cool like that. That would be amazing. Yep. No, that's uh, that will be cool. Well, look, in this section, I was going to say the calendar announcement because we've been told for quite a while that we could expect that over the Bathurst 1000 weekend. That's always traditionally been when the new calendar has been revealed, but I have been told that it's now going to be more like the Gold Coast before uh, we see exactly where and when we will be racing next year. But I'm sure there'll be some little nuggets of news regarding the calendar come out over the Bathurst weekend. So... We'll see uh, what shakes out there. Uh, well, one driver heading to Bathurst with, with an eye on a big result is former great race winner Mark Winterbottom. I grabbed Frosty to chat about his new Team 18 deal, the upcoming Gen 3 year, uh, his Bathurst 1000 chances and farewell in the Holden brand, and here it is. Uh, yeah, congrats on the new deal. It must be nice to sort of have your your medium-term future locked away with a multi-year deal. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I love racing for Charlie and – we started out this uh, this whole thing to to try and win a championship, and I really see next year as a big opportunity for Team 18 and um, the new car and uh, you know the new personnel coming on board and all that sort of stuff. It's it's going to be pretty epic. So um, yeah, great to I guess have started the foundations and reap the rewards. That's uh, you know you'd hate to <laughs> put a lot of work in and then leave when it's really coming good. So um, yeah, really excited. It did take a while for this deal to be made official. I believe you didn't actually sign on the dotted line until I think it was actually in New Zealand just before it was announced. Was there any chance that you might have ended up elsewhere next season or was it really a case of, as Charlie said, just him being busy and, you know, the timeline, waiting for the timelines to all kind of fall into place? Yeah, it's um, it's funny, isn't it, like the way they, they work out the contracts and stuff, but um, you know, Charlie and I have a, a very good relationship. So when, uh, you know, it's a pretty simple chat. I don't have a manager as such. You know, Renee, um, my wife helps me massively with all of it. But we uh, literally, you sit down with Charlie and he says, you want to be here? And I go, absolutely. Do you want me? He says, yes. And then you shake hands and um, that that's about it. You know, like it's, it's kind of funny. But then in motorsport, a lot of the times you walk out the room and and then you go, shit, that handshake doesn't mean a lot, you know. But this this one does with Charlie and, um, you know, him and I have got a, a very good respect and relationship and that's as simple as it is. And then kind of he knows how loyal I am and I know how his word is his word. So the, the ink on the paper is literally a formality, which um, you have to have. But, um, you know, it's, it's nice having a, a person you handshake with and, it actually means something, you know, because uh, in life it's not always that that way. No, absolutely. When you signed your last deal with Team 18 before this one, you actually referenced then about wanting to see in the Gen 3 era. Of course, we were expecting to be Gen 3 racing a fair bit earlier than we've actually than it's actually turned out. Um, you know, what are you expecting from Gen 3? There seems to be these two trains of thought. One is that experience will be key in the transition, particularly with guys like yourself that have experience with older V8 supercar technology that didn't have the grip 
of the modern cars. The other is that perhaps younger drivers without the rusted on habits will have an advantage. What are your thoughts on all that? Uh, a good car is a good car. Like I think literally, um, you know, whether it's your first day in a supercar or your last, a good car makes you look good and that's just that's just how it is. So, But what, what we need to do is really um, drive forward the development of the new car, you know. I think that's the, the big thing that experience has and you're not trying to set it up to what we've got now but what you are looking for is, you know, how's the brakes feel, how's the steering feel and just you're in sync with mechanics, I guess, of the car because we've driven lots of different categories, lots of different cars so you kind of know – um, what you're looking for in a certain standard where when you're fresh and new, you, you just think that's normal sometimes. So I think, you know, experience never goes astray in anything. But, um, but you know, the way team models are set up now, there's always one bloke who's experienced and one bloke who uh, might be a bit raw or a bit younger, but they work together really well. So, um, you know, will it give us an advantage? I'm not sure, but our team's in a really good position um, where – we're recruiting really well and, you know, I expect round one that brand new car, which should really suit us well because, um, you know, the, the new car, you know, you've got the same equipment as everyone. There's no ifs or buts or whatever. If you do a good job, you can win on your day and um, that's exciting. So experienced team, good car and the right information going through from the drivers, um, that's the combo you need. I mean, there has been a lot of talk about, you know, teams seeing this as an opportunity to, to, to sort of jump the teams ahead of them, particularly some of those better resource teams that have traditionally been in the front. You've talked about this being an opportunity for Team 18. What is it? Is it that recruiting? I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, recruiting quite recently in terms of new staff coming in. Is the recruiting what leads you to be confident that you guys, you know, not everyone can make a step forward because sport doesn't work like that. What makes you confident that you guys are the team that's going to do that? Well, we're, we're running a customer program at the moment. So supercars next year, effectively, if it rolls out like we all expect, um, most teams become a customer of some sort because yep. you can buy an upright from – he, she, her, whatever. You can buy this team, that team. You can, you can pretty well buy your bits from anywhere. So, um, you know. So then it comes down to assembly. It comes down to team leadership. It comes down to sponsorship. It comes down to all those factors that that make it up. So at the moment we're running that program um, already. So we go into next year. Uh, you know, not really massively different in how we run our, our program. But, you know, other teams out there, they you can have a brand new upright. And, you know, I've seen it previously at, at Tickford. You can have a brand new upright in a week. They they think it, they draw it, design it, make it, fit it. And that's, that's how the, the teams can do it with their CNC machines. But next year, all that goes out the window. So then you need to work out that's the one upright you've got. How do you make that work? This is the one roll bar you've got, how do you make that work or whatever it is. So um, that's where I feel like we benefit because we don't have uh, the manufacturing power at the moment. So um, we don't need it next year and it puts you more in a level playing field. So it's still going to be tough. doesn't mean you're going to go out and put the arm on the window and cruise around. Yeah. But, um, but it puts us, I think, on a bit more even playing field. And then that brings into people skills and we've got good people and we're, we're adding to it and um it's good that's where you know signing there is is great as well because you know the two drivers are this the sponsors are that um you know bruins running the team charlie still owns it um we've got dennis there it's it's and it flows on through so um 
it's great, great structure and it should work well. Bathurst 1000 this week, how are you feeling heading to Mount Panorama? I guess, you know, form's been maybe a little more inconsistent than you would have liked this season, but are you confident, you know, heading to that race that you and Caruso could be on for a result? Yeah, I'm pretty confident. Um, you know, there's there's reasons why you have inconsistencies and um, that's just sort of part of it, which you battle through on your hard days and, I don't know, cruise, not cruise, but enjoy your good days. But, um, you know, we've had a big push for Bathurst. There's... Uh, you know, new engines gone in, uh, all new panels. Uh, it, it's been a reasonably big spend by by Charlie um, with a big focus on Bathurst. So we're, yeah, going there to do our best and um, it's the best the car's going to be for this year and everything's effectively new on it in, in many, you know, respects. So, um, yeah, I don't know if, we, if we're going to – just have outright speed or we just have to be strategic or um you know how, how you win the race but when we get there we'll work out what position we're in and you're always confident i don't know it's a weird race even if you're qualified 24th you've seen blokes win it so you don't give up till sunday either it's the final bathurst 1000 for the holden brand i mean you're far from a career holden driver but Will it still be special to represent, you know, what is such a famous and beloved brand here in Australia in, in the great race for the last time? Yeah, it's um, oh, it's going to be epic. I think it's it's sort of the the closing of a of a chapter in an era where, um, you know, the Holden Commodore has been so iconic to, to Bathurst. So, um, but to be honest, I'd win it in anything. I don't really, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you take that trophy end of the day. But um, it is going to be a an emotional moment for people because they have so much connection to that that model and that brand so um yeah it's going to be epic and then you know when one door closes it opens up that next one but um yeah big year it's a big year and then personally for me it's my 20th year up there as well so um yeah it's 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 quite a significant um event and and quite a you know historic one um you know for me personally as well and, and for holden so it's going to be big I mean, you won the Bathurst 1000 as a factory Ford driver, and at the time, you were—you know—you were the favourite son of Ford fans. At a time when the red versus blue rivalry was still so fierce, that must have been an amazing. Just reflecting on this journey of having Ford versus Holden, that must have been an amazing moment in your career to stand on the podium, not just getting the cheers from the Ford fans, but knowing how much it meant, good and bad, for both sides to those fans. Oh, it's epic! I remember uh, leading that race on that last lap, and. Um Literally, you cross the line and there's just a swarm of people just running to the podium, like, and they were all blue. And literally, when I stood on the podium, you could see all the Holdens um, lined up driving out the gate because they'd all gone home <laughs> and they were just all Fords everywhere and all the Ford people. But on the flip side, I've stood up there um, in 2015 when I finished second and Lounge won. And um, it was opposite. They're all the red guys booing us on the podium, and um, yeah, and all the blue flags had gone. So it's just, uh, it's it's massive, and that's what makes the race. You know, I think the track is is elite, and it's one of our best tracks that we go to. Um, it's it's a cool race having six hours, but it's the fans and the the history and the the I guess the meaning behind it that makes it what makes grown men cry. You know, it's it's that it's that event. That's the yeah. The passion that goes with it. So yeah, seen it all. I've seen um, one bloke, you know, on our parade lap in 2018, stick his finger up at me, and then in 2019, <laughs> stick his thumb up because he was obviously a red supporter. So um, it can change quite quickly up there. 
And we thank Frosty for his time there. Uh, Stefan, let's run through our Castrol tips for the Bathurst 1000. Uh, so what I want from you is your great race winner and a roughie to keep an eye on. Well, you know me, I, uh, I swim between the flags on these tips, so I'm, I'm going with a 97. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the safest option, isn't it, for the actual uh, race win. But as a roughie, I think Brody Kostecki and, and David Russell, we talked about Erebus before, they're on the podium there last year, these two. And I think, again, like, you know, in a wet, dry, mixed sort of race, potentially, uh, Brody could really make his mark. Well, Stefan, you are the more conservative of the two of us, but on this occasion, I'm just going to be right there uh, playing it safe, keeping away from the rips <laughs> and whatever else the ocean might try and throw at us. Uh, I'm going to go with the 97 to win the race as well. I just can't really see how they don't win it, particularly if the rain comes along. Um, and for a roughie, again, based on the potential of it being a wet Bathurst 1000, I'm going to go with uh, with Dave Reynolds and Matt Campbell, I think. That is still a kind of exciting lineup in the right conditions. Um, before we finish up talking Bathurst, just a reminder to all of our listeners that the Castrol grid card will, of course, be available again this year. Uh, it features picks of every car in grid order with the driver names and qualifying times, and that will be available on race morning at the BP activation area in Merchandise Alley in Harris Park. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Shane Van Gisbergen finished a fine third in class in Rally New Zealand over the weekend. I grabbed Motorsport Network's WRC guru, Tommy Howard, for a quick chat about Giz's arrival on the World Rally stage. Uh, Tommy, you know, as, as supercars guys, we know what an otherworldly talent Shane Van Gisbergen is, so I guess it was no real surprise for us that he was a front runner across the Rally New Zealand weekend, but... How did those in the WRC paddock, perhaps less aware of his ability, you know, take his debut at that level? It's interesting, actually. I'm not, I mean, it's not totally sure. Not many of the drivers really sort of spoke about Shane, but certainly from uh, the sort of perception from everyone around the the service park was, uh, you know, so many people know of Shane and what he can do, but to see what he could actually do at a world championship level in a rally car was an unknown. So for him to be able to, uh, well, I think that the best benchmark you can really, you can really measure Shane and how good he was, was he was challenging the WRC two championship contender, Kaitan Kaitanovic, and he's second in the championship and actually going for the title. But Shane was beating him on stages. Um, and just remember, Shane's not. Uh, well, he's done four rallies in that car. Kaito is yeah. obviously a rally driver, so he's uh, he's well well accustomed to that car. Yes, obviously Shane knows the roads better and the conditions. But to be able to match that uh, Kaitan, I think that was the mark of uh, that said, "Hang on a minute, this guy." Is a, is a talent, a real talent. So I think a lot of people stood up and took notice of Shane. But what I think stood out more was he's just a pure enjoyment of rally. Like it's, he just enjoyed it more, it seemed, than anyone else. It was just one of those situations where it's quite funny in when you're, when, the, when they're running in the cars, if they're in stage mode, all the intercom is, uh, you know, you can hear all that and it's broadcasted uh, over WRC+. Plus. Uh, most of the drivers turn off stage mode when they get to the stage end so people can't hear what they say. 
Whereas Shane, obviously, uh, he doesn't care about that. So he kept the car in stage road. So we got to hear all these conversations between him and Glenn Weston. And just basically all his excitement was just coming out. And everyone was loving it. It was just fantastic to see him just all these sort of whoops and like, oh, man, this is unreal. And like just him just laughing his head off when he crosses the finish line. Because it was just, in you know, just shows just how much he just enjoys rally and motorsport. He says he wouldn't mind doing a, a few other rally events or WRC events. I mean, could this guy be a professional quality rally driver? It certainly seems like that's that's about where he's at. Yeah, I think so. But I think we all know what, you know, you put him in anything, he could he can do it, can't he? Like, we know yeah. what he can do. So I don't put it past him to be successful in NASCAR, single-seaters, rally, anything. He can do it. We know it. But, yeah, this just proved that if he really wanted to, he could make a make a career out of rally quite easily and probably be very, very successful. Just moving on to the WRC category, Tommy, Kelly Rovenpera, the youngest champion in WRC history. How big a deal is that and how good is this kid? This is a massive deal for the WRC. And uh, when you think, um, to just to put it into context for, for everyone, is that Kelly uh, Rovenpera turned 22 on the weekend. So what a birthday weekend he had. Uh, mm. Won the rally, won the power stage became the youngest ever world champion, first Finnish world champion for 20 years. Like, you name it, he'd, he'd done it this weekend. It was a fantastic weekend for him. Um, just to put this into context for everyone, Sebastian Auger, who's an eight-time world champion, won his first world title at the age of 29. Kali Rovenpera just won his first at 22. Um, the record w- that was held by Colin McRae, set in 1995, he was aged 27. So this is not a sport where young guys come in and, and just boss it. But what Kali Rovenpera has done is he's changed the game. This is now, people. This, this will change the sport forever, you know, I think, <clears throat> in a way. And I think more younger drivers will come through and believe that they can do it. Because it's been one of those sports where it's often thought you need to be experienced, you need to know all the rallies. Um, but now Cali Rombera has just proved, blown that out of the window, really, and just said, well, no, you, you, if you could be you could be 22 and you can actually boss it. But we have to also remember that Cali Rombera has been, in a, been sort of groomed as a rally driver uh, since he was, you know, eight or nine. So he's been, while, while he's young, he's actually had like sort of 10 years sort of pootling around in rally cars as a kid. So um, he's had plenty of mileage, but still what he's able to do is phenomenal in a car because we had OJ here at the weekend and he, he just couldn't touch him. He couldn't touch him in the wet conditions. And it's the wet conditions where Rovenpera has this sort of unique ability. When he, when he sees rain, he gets excited and he knows that that is an opportunity for him to make time because he's got this this ability to just have this car control in these conditions, which is unlike anyone else. And he sort of puts it down to the fact that he he, he loves going drifting. So he uh, he does a lot of drifting events when there's no rallies going on. And I think his, his social media profile is wannabe drifter, part-time rally driver. So it's uh, he's a very amusing character. But that that is, the, in a nutshell, that is, that is how special this guy is. He didn't need to win the power stage on Sunday, but he went out, gave it absolutely everything and won the power stage. Like he's just, it, nothing seems to phase him. He has the composure of a 30 or 35 year old. 
And we thank Tommy for his time off the back of a busy weekend in Auckland. Uh, Sergio Perez won a weather-affected Singapore Grand Prix despite receiving a five-second penalty for a safety car breach during the race. Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz run, rounded out the podium, while Daniel Ricciardo went from 17th on the grid to finish fifth. In Thailand, Miguel Oliveira took MotoGP honours from Jack Miller and Francesco Bagnaia. Fabio Quattararo struggled to 17th place and now only leads Bagnaia in the standings by two points. And Chase Elliott won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Talladega, which means he advances straight to the playoff semifinals. Uh, Stefan, this whole potential budget cap breach story that's emerged in the F1 paddock over the weekend is pretty interesting. Uh, there seems to be – nothing's been proven yet. There seems to be a lot of smoke for there to be no fire at all, uh, though there have been accusations sent in the way of uh, Red Bull and Aston Martin for going over the cap. Um this is just, however it plays out, it just feels like it's going to be a huge test for the entire budget cap system, right? Yeah, I don't pretend to understand the details behind it, but just at a at a view from, from the cheap seats, I just don't understand. I don't see how this was ever going to be workable. Like, there's just so yeah. many potential loopholes in a system like this, and even if you prove a breach, like what's a fair penalty? Like it really threatens, yep. I think, to put an even bigger stain on last year's title than the Abu Dhabi debacle did. And I'm just glad that this system never got pushed through in supercars. Like they actually announced one of these things at the end of 2006 called yep. a total racing expenditure cap, if you remember. Mm-hmm. There was like yep. six, 6.7 mil, something like that for each two-car team. But uh, that went away as quick as it came because it was just – impossible to police it so i think you've got to control costs through good technical regulations not through forensic accountants yeah i mean salary caps alone are difficult enough to um to police as we've seen through various football codes so trying to actually do it when you're talking about total expenditure or having a budget cap yeah it's really tough and the fact that the, the issue is now if it turns out there is a breach by a team if the penalty isn't severe then you may as well just chuck the whole system in the bin because if you if it, if it ends up being a fine, well, that's fine. That just becomes part of your expenditure and teams will just continue to spend whatever they want. So it's one of those things where the penalty will have to be so over the top for it to actually deter people from doing it. I, I think it really threatens the entire the entire system and I think it um, has the potential to become quite messy. Of course, the certificates may get issued next week and it turns out that no team was in breach at all, but you know the way the news cycle tends to go when there's this much talk about it and teams making such direct accusations, you would have to assume that there's something funky going on somewhere. Anyway, speaking of spending cash in motor racing, we have a brand new segment for our podcast, Stefan, and I'm pretty excited about this one. It's called What Grabbed My Eye on My105.com. It's a pretty simple concept. Each week, you and I are going to do some window shopping. Uh, and pick what we'd love to be spending our hard-earned podcast cash on from the listings on my105.com. Now, I'm going to go first. Anyone that knows me knows that I have a soft spot for a Toyota Celica. Now, with that in mind, I'm devastated that I seem to have just missed out on an ST205 Celica GT4 rally car that has been built into a faithful replica of a Toyota Team Europe car from the 1995 World Rally Championship season, complete with the delightful Castrol livery. Uh, Someone beat me to it, unfortunately, but what an absolute beauty. If I was in the market to uh, spend some cash, that's where I would have been trying to spend it. What grabbed your eye on my105.com this week, Stefan? Well, I reckon the sight of you with your Castrol helmet in the Castrol Celica would grab anyone's eye just quietly. Oh, yeah. 
But, uh, you know, I have expensive tastes, Andrew. And uh, <laughs> considering it's Bathurst week, I've dialed up the Aussie male falcon that Brad Jones and John Bauer shared to a podium finish back in 2004. It's been restored back to those great black and green colours it uh, ran back in the day. And it's currently in New Zealand. Uh, but it's listed with free shipping back to Australia, which uh, oh, okay. that always gets me in. I don't know about you, but I hate paying for postage. So that, uh, well, at the moment, that's pretty that's tempting. The, <laughs> I think Supercars were looking for some free shipping. <laughs> deals from New Zealand not all that longer. How much are we forking out for this uh, for this Falcon? Uh, it's a price, uh, price on arrival, I believe. Oh, so. okay. All right. Well, I assume you will be making the call. This is going to be a fun segment, I think. I must say I quite enjoy sitting there. Not a bad way to have a cup of coffee and waste a bit of time looking through some pretty hot racing cars. All right. It's Castro Mailbag time. This week, Graham Swan asks, how many drivers have scored WRC points and competed in the Bathurst 1000. Well, we know SVG is now on that list. Stefan, as a sleuth full-timer, I'm going to uh, handball this one your direction, I reckon. Well, we're not uh, World Rally sleuth, unfortunately, at uh, V8 sleuth, so I can't give a definitive answer with a full database on that side of it. But it is a great question, and it's worth uh, a bit of a discussion because there certainly has been a few that, that come to mind over the years to have done both of those things really headlined by a couple of rallyings original flying fins if you remember back to uh rauno altonen and timo mackinen raced minis at bathurst uh, in the 60s Altonen, of course won the race in 66 with bob holden and later scored wrc points once that championship commenced in the 70s uh-huh. there's uh a few aussies that fit the bill as well guys like george fury neil bates ed ordinsky and then a heap of Kiwis, Rod Millen, Glenn McIntyre. I think there's, there'd be quite a few more if you really dug fully into that side of it. But um, also if you open it up to drivers who have competed in a WRC event but not necessarily scored points, you've got uh, David Thexton in the conversation as well, which uh, I think is a very fun fact. Well, that is a, uh, that is a fun fact. Surely there'd be some Matthias Ekstrom in there as well. Does he ever scored points, WRC? Uh, that I'm not sure. We could uh, we could look that one up. Hmm. Maybe we'll come back to that one. Uh, he, he certainly did a fair bit of rallycross, didn't he? Yep, yep. And I'm sure he's done some WRC rounds. But anyway, this is potentially one of those conversations we should have had off air, not on it. So let's uh, – Too much let's... time spent on my 105. Oh, no, we did. We did maybe – Spend a fair bit of time looking through some some cool cars. Anyway, all right, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. I'm going to give my Castrol star to Matt Campbell this week. I know you touched on it before, but a third place at Petit Le Mans on the weekend was enough for him to seal the IMSA GTD Pro Drivers title, which is pretty cool. Stefan, where is your Castrol star headed? I'm keeping it simple. You and Tommy covered it off very well earlier, but Shane Van Gisbergen, what a cool story. I hope he does some more WRC events in the future. I think the WRC paddock is hoping that he does that as well. All right, just before we go, don't forget to keep this Friday evening free for our Castrol Motorsport News podcast catch-up in Bathurst. We'll be at the Oxford from 7 p.m. onwards. We'd love to see you there for a drink and a chat. Just hit either myself or Steph and all the V8 Sleuth team up on the socials to let us know that you're keen so we've got a rough idea on numbers. Um, Yeah, and that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be reviewing the Bathurst 1000. Between now and then, remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News.
Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.